Welcome to 20% Time, a podcast from the team at Titan, a web development consultancy that specializes in Laravel, Vue, React, Livewire, all kinds of stuff. My name is Dave Picking, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Susanna, as always. Susanna, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, the weather has been nice and cool here. Fall is arriving in the Northeast. This is, we're, we're getting close to like one of our three three weeks in the spring and three weeks in the fall when it's actually nice and it's not either a hot swampy like mess or it's not like a frigid ice hellscape these are the i'm just kidding uh, it's not really that bad but no the weather's lovely yeah. so that means i'm in a good mood and yeah oh that's good i mean the uk we, t- we tend to have only one sort of kind of weather it's the overcast <laughs> rainy weather but i have to say this year has been really good the summer was really really hot oh yeah some people didn't like it so yeah it's not so much not very typical British weather. But so you're we looking to the overcast. I was going to say you're yeah. looking forward to that cool down. Well, we've it arrived. It's <laughs> okay, here now. <laughs> Summer's over now. Like let's not push it and back to rainy days. Yeah. Um. And while we've been sitting here just chatting about the weather, we uh, have our wonderful guest. How British been... of us, huh? <laughs> <laughs> wonderful guest has been sitting here in silence so patiently. Uh, we are joined today by Aaron Francis, who. Uh, he does a ton of stuff in the Laravel community. If you are, if you know this podcast because it's put on by Titan, I can't believe you couldn't be following Aaron already on Twitter. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing great, and I am jealous about the weather y'all are talking about. I'm in Texas, where it's going to remain hot for another month and a half. So oh, that's, that's why I was quiet during the weather <laughs> segment. <laughs> oh yeah, Texas. Mm. I uh, I we have a number of folks at Titan who have either who either live in Texas now or who have lived in the, there in the past. I went to high school in rural Oklahoma, right over the Texas border. So I, I remember it's very hot. Um, even the wind is hot. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Fortunately, I'm not in Houston or Galveston where it's hot and humid. And I'm humid. in Dallas where it's, where it's just hot. But boy, is it just hot. <laughs> it's just hot. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. So for folks who may not have uh, heard of you before, who maybe, you know, heard the name, but don't, you know, can't place the the voice or don't know much about you. Can you tell us, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do? Who are you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with context, maybe in the Laravel community. I've um, built a couple of packages. Um, I think at the last Laracon, I was doing a demo on Sidecar, which is a Laravel package that helps you with AWS Lambda functions. And that yeah. one is just like a whole lot of fun. Um, mm. More recently, I've done one for pagination, um, kind of like a database like kind of hack but makes your pagination faster and it's called fast page um so that's kind of some of the context for laravel we've i've built a lot of packages and they all kind of live under hammerstone.dev which is my main um side project area um what we're going to be talking about today is torchlight so i'll save that one um but then professionally um i now work at a database company. It's called PlanetScale, and I'm now um, a developer educator there. So I had been working on this uh, MySQL for developers course for a super long time and kind of been tweeting about it and writing articles to get people on the mailing list. And the CEO of PlanetScale DM'd me and was like, hey, how come you don't work for us? And I was like, well, <laughs> that's a what one, because I, I have a I have a job and two, because nobody's <laughs> nobody's ever asked me to come work anywhere. Um, what a DM to I, get. <laughs> Yeah, total power move that only the CEO could do. Yeah, seriously. He was he was like, hey, what if you come work for us and we buy this unfinished course off of you and you do it for us and you just keep writing your same articles, but you do it for us. I was like, you know what? That sounds amazing. Let's do that. Yeah. So how is the course going? How far along are you? 
You know, Susanna, that's an interesting question, isn't it? <laughs> it's funny. It's funny you should ask that. Um, so here's the deal with the course. I've read, I don't know if you could see it in, in the background. I've read like maybe seven or eight MySQL books mm. and kind of pulled out all of, I think, the interesting parts of which there are many, but maybe fewer than you would expect. Um <laughs> And I have the outline and the references and the material totally done. So that part mm -hmm. I feel super good about. Um, I haven't recorded a single video, but I have maybe a thousand people on the mailing list. And mm. I have my outline and all the stuff I want to hit totally finished. And it's really interesting because the whole shtick is like MySQL for developers, not for DBAs. Mm -hmm. But yeah. like you as Laravel developers, what do we need to know about MySQL? Like not only to get by, but to make it performant. Um, and like fast enough. And so it's been a whole lot of fun. I've been working on it for maybe, you know, a year, but recorded videos, zero <laughs> content outline, a hundred percent. So I don't know. You, you, you I tell think, me. No, I think from, from what I've done and seen, I think the hardest you've done, the hardest part, you've got the outline, you've got the, you've got the material, the recording, you know, it's easy peasy. Yeah, just I hope so. Yeah, that, that's the encouragement I was looking for. So thank you. There you go. And also, I think you printed out the my it's my sequel docs, haven't you? Yeah, this that's is like that's way above anything I've ever seen. Yeah. So I yeah, that gives you a, a, an idea of how into this I am. Yeah, I printed out two chapters of the my sequel docs. One was on optimization, and one was on like data schema. And I I wanted to know like these books are great, but the books are based on something, right? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go to the source and see like, where are these people getting their information? And I can't sit there and read it on a screen because that would just be brutal. Yeah. So I just went to FedEx and was like, hey, I have this PDF. Can you print it and bind it? And they're like, yeah, that'll be $20. It's like, amazing. So yeah. It's cheaper I, than a book. <laughs> I, I know. So they print it and bound it for me. And it's it's been awesome. I can highlight and put stickies in it. And it's super nerdy, but it's a lot of fun. I think you're probably the first person I've heard saying that beating dogs is awesome and super fun and you are highlighting. I love it. I mean, it, it's great because it's like um, reading, reading blog posts is fun, but it's kind of disjointed. Reading a book is great because it gives you this super high level overview mm -hmm. of like the universe in which you're working. Reading the docs is wonderful because besides reading the source, it's like as close to the source as you could yeah. get. And the people that write the books are pulling, you know, from their experience, of course, but a lot of it comes from like just the raw documentation. Mm. And so if you can go down there and look and see what's actually there, I feel like it's really, really valuable once you kind of have a framework where you can slot it in. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that sounds exciting. I can't wait for the course to be finished. Hint, hint, you know, just saying. <laughs> yeah, <thanks. laughs> I think half I of Titan has already signed up for it. I think we will I think all so, take yeah. it. Yeah. Well, the good news is it's going to be free now because Planet Scale obviously makes oh, money other amazing. ways. So the course yeah. is going to be totally free. Yeah, that is amazing. I cannot wait, honestly, especially now seeing how excited you are about it. I just, I mean, I've known <laughs> yeah. you are excited about databases. I know that about you. But yeah. now hearing you speak about it, I just, I wish people could see your face, how you light up when you speak about database queries. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, we all have our thing. And I am, I am of the firm opinion that you should lean into your thing and be unabashedly excited about it. Yeah, good for you. Okay, so Torchlight. First of all, great name. Um, Thanks. I want to, I want to ask about, <laughs> we can ask about how you came up with the name, but let, let's start actually just with like, for folks who don't know what Torchlight is, what's the elevator pitch for Torchlight? The elevator pitch for Torchlight is, it is a syntax highlighting API. So you're used to highlight JS, 
um, Prism. I get that confused with Prisma, but Prism.js, and those do syntax highlighting on the client side. Torchlight does syntax highlighting via API. So I've built a bunch of clients um, that contact the API, but we do, um, I want to say, perfect syntax highlighting mm. because it uses a much more mm. powerful engine than you can use in a browser. Do you have that on the okay. website? Do you have the phrase perfect syntax highlighting? Because that's pretty, that's pretty good. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we need to talk about for it. We should. Yeah. <laughs> we need to, we need to talk about the website because y'all actually did an amazing redesign that I haven't pushed out there yet. Um, so maybe I'll put that as the headline. Perfect syntax highlighting. That's interesting. Obviously it, it works when you bold and when you go after what you want, you know, case in point, yeah. you, your job. So just be bold. Go for it. Yeah, I like that. I may I may actually do that. I may take a stance and say this is perfect syntax highlighting. Yeah. And like so obviously when you before you built Torchlight, what was the problem you were trying to like why? What made you even think about building something yourself? Because I know us as devs, it's often like, oh, we don't need a package, we just build it ourselves. Some people go for it, some people don't. So what what was it for you that made you think, okay, I'm gonna build it myself. I'm gonna make my own yeah. syntax highlighter. Yeah, so I was writing all the docs for these various packages that we have at Hammerstone. Primarily, I was writing the docs for a package called Refine, which is like a visual query builder. And in the docs, I was there were two things that were happening. One is I was getting um, bad syntax highlighting, so it was just like objectively wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that was coming, a lot of that was coming with maybe some new PHP, you know, eight stuff that Mm -hmm. let's say Highlight.js or Prism wasn't caught up to yet. And so I was getting these really gross, like the second half of the code block was just gray. I was like, man, this looks really um, unprofessional. Like would Adam Wathen be okay with this? No. So I like, I'm always trying to live up to his standards. And so I was like, this is terrible. It looks stupid. Um, So that was the first thing. The second thing was um, I really wanted So like as I was writing these docs, I I had these giant code block sections and I wanted to be in the code block um, giving more context to what I was trying to communicate, right? So in in documentation, you're trying to communicate a thought and I wanted to be in the code block being like, no, 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 look right here at this line. This Mm -hmm. is the line you should pay attention to. But I couldn't just um, show that line because the surrounding context was important but I wanted to focus the reader's attention on a particular thing. Yeah. And so I was, I ended up having like all these hacky workarounds to like add extra classes to a certain line. And I thought, man, this is really painful. And so the reason that I built it is because I found this great um, tool called Shiki, which is a, which is a syntax highlighter, but it's node only and it's really rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I could like, I could write an entire framework around this and then use Shiki to like do some of the syntax highlighting and then kind of write my own renderers to add all these extra touches to it. Um, and then that would give me the best ability to communicate um, what I'm trying to teach to the reader. And so that's kind of where I ended up was like, one, the syntax highlighting is wrong. And two, I'm not able to add context that I think would be helpful. Yeah, kind of when you when you mentioned it, I think it should have been possible. Like, it seems such an obvious thing to do. Like, you know, obviously I can see the use case for that. 
But yeah, so how long did it take you to? So when, how long have you been working on it? When did you start? Has it been a long time? Oh yeah, it's been project? over a year. I did this adorable thing on Twitter where I was like, I'm gonna launch this project in a day. Follow along with me. <laughs> and that was that was literally 18 months ago. And I look back and I'm like, oh, you cute, naive spring child. Um, so yeah, I mean, the the proof of concept I got done pretty quickly and was using on the hammerstone.dev site pretty immediately. Um, and since then, it's been a whole series of um, tweaks and optimizations and improvements. Just, just recently, I've launched a parallel infrastructure to do all the rendering that I'm about to switch everybody over to. Because as you can imagine, like, doing all of this rendering, like it has to be so fast because in some cases it happens in the request response lifecycle of people's applications. Mm. Like for Jigsaw, it doesn't. You build it, it gives right. you perfect syntax highlighting as HTML, and then you ship it to you know S3 or whatever, wherever you host your website. For some people, they're using it in Laravel in the middle of the request response lifecycle. And so I can't be, you know, dorking around for five seconds, like mm. highlighting code. It has to come back super fast. And so there have been some pain points along the way. Um, but I think I've got the infrastructure set up such that now I can almost guarantee fast enough response times across the board, regardless of load. Do you feel like it's finished? it's done the package or, I mean obviously there's um, always things to improve but like the yeah. major features do you feel like you're done I feel like from the user perspective so from the perspective of somebody that wants syntax highlighting it's done mm -hmm. um, I think there are a lot of great features um, one it works like it gives you correct syntax highlighting whatever you're going to get in VS code you get in Torchlight and I feel good about that yeah. Um and two, it has all these great like annotations where you can highlight or show diffs or do collapsing or blurs or whatever. So from that perspective, I feel like it is done. From my perspective, I feel like it's not even close to done. I have big plans for it. One is um, I finally got this new infrastructure set up, and so I need to I need to switch over to that so that everybody's using it and not just a few people. And then um, corresponding with that, so that is like step one. And then step two is make it free. Like right now, mm. right now it costs money. I mean, it quote unquote costs money. I don't enforce anything. So, um, you know, do whatever you want. It, it's free. Um, <laughs> so right now it, it costs money, but I want to make it explicitly free. Um, and this infrastructure obviously is a prerequisite to that because I'm hoping that the load will go up when it becomes free. So once it's free, then I need to... Um, as a part of making it free, I need to launch this new design that y'all have done for me that looks amazing and looks modern. And then after that, I have a, an in-browser client that actually um, contacts the API. So it doesn't do the highlighting on the client because that's mm -hmm. still too expensive to ship all the stuff required, all the, all the language files. But it does the highlighting from the client. And so I feel like that is just going to explode the use cases because now people can just put a JavaScript snippet on their page like they are used to, but yeah. then get Torchlight instead of like Highlight.js or Prism or something like that. So I I have a long way to go, but I feel like from the user perspective, yeah, it's done. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you sort of talked a bit about some of the things that you really sort of motivated you and I, you know, reading through the existing website, I noticed, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like you t you can get a little bit of sort of the story behind this, right? Things that really kind of, I'm assuming, drove you a little mm -hmm. a little nuts about 
earlier syntax, you know, sort of previous syntax highlighters, you call out, you know, there's no flash of unstyled, you know, text. There's, mm-hmm. you're not using JavaScript. Aside from those, are there any other sort of specific real annoyances that you really wanted to make sure Torchlight solved that we haven't talked about yet? Um, You know, I think the biggest one is, yeah, the flash of unstyled, the huge JS bundles, like, yeah. oh, that's a pain. Um, I think the biggest one is is the context. So, being able to add all of these annotations in your actual code block. And that's Mm. something I focused really, really hard on was Mm. I want people, I want the authoring experience to be delightful, right? When you're writing your documentation, I want um, your code examples to remain valid code. Because if if you're putting all these fake markups inside your code and then you hit auto format in your editor, like, it's going to it's going to make your code blocks all wonky because it's like encountered this, you know, torchlight syntax that it doesn't recognize and that's mm-hmm. what happens with other syntax highlighters. It's like just put these curly braces wherever you want and then in your editing experience it's like, well, this isn't valid code anymore, so I don't know how to format it, so now your docs look crappy, right? So I spent all of this time figuring out how could I weasel this extra metadata into a real code block without dorking up the the formatting. And I figured out that I could, in every language, there is comment syntax besides JSON, but in every language there's comment syntax and I could put all of this extra rich metadata inside an actual code comment. And at that point, it doesn't mess up your formatting. It doesn't mess up your editing. And then I can like read that metadata out and then strip the comment and throw it away and so now I can do all this super powerful stuff and your user never sees it. And as the author, you get to write real code um, and not have to worry about like these weird annotations that are going to throw everything off. So you mentioned like how, well, the things that Torchlight does, but how do you, because syntax, syntax highlighting seems quite complex to me. I mean, I've mm-hmm. never looked into it. So how does Torchlight do it? Like, Can you walk us through an example? How, yeah. how does it do it? Totally. So. Torchlight um, sits on top of a package called Shiki, and Shiki sits on top of a package, I don't know what it's called, but it's like the VS Code engine, mm-hmm. right? So at the bottom is this open source VS Code. Um, and what that does is the VS Code engine takes in what's called language files, and I think they're like Toml files. It's this weird, I think it's Tom's obvious markup language, but it's these super old <laughs> files that everybody uses. Yeah. Um, Text Wrangler, like everybody uses these files. And these files are like the biggest, grossest, nastiest set of regular expressions that you've ever seen in your life. It oh, is, no. it's insane. And I've only written one and it was a brutal experience. Um, so I don't have to muck around with them too much. But under the hood are these giant language files that are constantly updated. Um, like Statomic has its own, PHP has one, you know, everybody has these language files, right? And so the VS Code package does all of the parsing and um, what they call, I think, tokenizing. So mm-hmm. it takes a block of code and turns it into tokens based on the regex. Um, and so it's like, this is a keyword. This is a variable. This is a comment. And so what I get from Shiki, and Shiki just adds a little bit of like, it pulls in themes and language files and it kind of packages it up for you. What I get from Shiki is a bunch of tokens. Mm -hmm. And it says, you know, this is the block that the user gave me, Torchlight. And then I pass that through to Shiki and it gives me back a set of tokens. And then once I have those tokens, 
I'm back in Torchlight land where I have to figure out how do I turn those tokens into HTML? Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's where I start like scrolling through all of the tokens and inspecting each individual one and seeing like, okay, is this a comment? If it's a comment, does it have a Torchlight annotation? If it does, well, I need to start like building up some diffs or I need to start building up like some blur syntax or stuff like that. And so I get the tokens back. I go line by line, token by token, and just start building up HTML. And then I return it back. And so I sit on top of a whole lot of helpful libraries, but the renderer is, you know, 2000 lines of JavaScript that I handle. So all I mm. get back is tokens and then I have to do all the rest, which is great because the tokenizing seems a lot harder, honestly. Yeah. So how did you, why did you choose this approach? Why even use like the, this, I don't know, like not the client side mm -hmm. syntax highlighting. Why did you go for this approach? Um, I found it could have been, um, it could have been an abundance of naivety, but I thought it was going to be easier, <laughs> um, which is, you know, how we all start. Oh, this is going to be easy. Um, so I found that it was really, really hard um, to get the syntax highlighting right on the client side because the client side libraries don't use um, these Toml files. They don't use these language files. They have their own kind of without being disrespectful, kind of more anemic. They're a little bit weaker. Like these language files that they use, it's like, ah, you know, it works 80% of the time, 90% of the time. And the reason they do that is because the, the browser is so underpowered compared to a server, right? Mm. And so part of, my, part of my operating hypothesis was if I can sit on top of VS Code, then I can take advantage of an entire, like, multi-billion dollar ecosystem that is hell-bent on keeping these language files up to date, right? Because yeah. it's a much bigger problem if syntax highlighting doesn't work in VS Code than if it doesn't work on Aaron's fun highlighting site, right? Yeah. right. And so right. I thought there's an entire ecosystem of thousands of people that are concerned with these Toml files that are going to keep them up to date. Like when PHP 8.2 drops, somebody is going to update that file and it's not going to be me. And so yeah. that was kind of like, as one person, what can I do? Not write language files, but I can sit on top of some open source ones. And so that was kind of my, that was kind of my theory. Yeah, it sounds good. So you said as one person, doesn't mean you're the only one working on Torchlight or do you have anyone to help yep. you? Nope, you're just me. One. I'm the only wow. one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's How do you lot. manage with all the other things? So you've got, you mentioned Hammerstone, you've got your yeah. job at Matska. How do you, <laughs> how? That's, a, that's a good question. <laughs> Um, and you've got you've got twins, don't you? Right. I've got twins. Yeah. I mean, yeah, 16, 16 month old twins. Um, the first and most honest answer is my wife is a stay at home mom and I wouldn't have time or space to do a lot of this other like fun outside of work stuff if she had a full time job. Um, I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the space. And so mm. most of the credit goes to her, to be honest. Um, and then beyond that, like, I don't, I, I don't. It's <laughs> gonna sound really sad. I don't think I'm that interesting. <laughs> like, I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot of other hobbies. Um, I don't. I don't like. I'm not into the NFL, so I don't watch. Like, I don't spend all my Monday nights and Thursday nights and Sundays watching football or anything like that. So, I don't play video games. Um, this is like, I 
love working on this kind of stuff. And so I just end up like thinking about it and working on it. And, you know, I go in cycles, I burn out and, you know, don't work on stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I come back and work on it a bunch more. So I don't have, I don't have like a huge secret. I don't have like a notion system that keeps me focused every minute of every day. Um, I miss, like, I miss a lot of stuff. Like I sit on emails longer than I should. So like, I'm not like the picture of productivity. I just, I have a lot of fun doing some stuff. And so I work on it. I, I basically follow my energy as much as I can. Um, and you know, kids go to bed right now at like seven or seven thirty, And then we have dinner, my wife and I, and then that's like, well, what do you want to do? Uh, I don't know. You want to watch TV? You want to work on some stuff? You want to I've recently gotten into reading sci-fi? And so like, I, I don't know. I just kind of follow whatever I'm interested in. I think that's really good. I like it. Like just follow your energy. That's what you Yeah, totally. Interested. Yeah, that's, I think because a lot of things we do these days, they train our energy rather than, you know, pump us up. So exactly. just follow, follow. Yeah. Go with the wind. I like that. Oh, and thanks. well done. I mean, I wouldn't, you are quite interesting. You say you're not that interesting. I mean, <laughs> to me, you printed my SQL docs. You are interesting. Come on. Well, <laughs> for certain definitions of interesting, sure. <laughs> so Aaron, you're pretty heavily in the Laravel sort of PHP ecosystem and Torchlight, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, seems to somewhat target that community, even though, you know, it's not like at the top of the current site, it's not like it says, you know, you're not really trying to hit that, that, that too hard but i've also seen on twitter that you occasionally dip your toe into mingling with the rails world you know mm -hmm. um and the other your your partner at hammerstone is is in the rails world yep and so fully. obviously torchlight is an api so folks outside the level world could use it do you do you see a push in the future towards targeting other communities or are you sort of happy where you're at um both yeah i, I think i'm i'm happy where i'm at in terms of like objectively I made a thing that people use and that feels pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so yes. And I have plans for torchlight. Um, so, so that y'all, all the listeners don't tell everyone I want torchlight to take over the world. That's the plan. And so it's a modest plan. The, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So keep it, keep it <laughs> under your hat. Um, so the, the plan, uh, you know, the t time dilates before me. I think everything's going to happen quickly. And then <laughs> anyway, so th the plan has been moved to this new infrastructure, which I would love to talk about because it's interesting. Mm. Then um, launch this new website and then, or maybe in opposite order, have the in-browser JavaScript client. And so once all of those things are done, the, the plan is to basically, you know, Hacker News, Reddit, Product Hunt, maybe, to say free syntax highlighting that's better than what you have. I won't say it that way, but that's better than what you have. Drop in this JavaScript snippet and you're off to the races. If you want to do a deeper integration, it's an API. So you can do a deeper integration. Right. So like all these static site generators, like I wrote the one for Jigsaw, but that's just because I know Jigsaw and I use it and I like it. I don't know, like, I don't know Jekyll. I don't know. I don't even know what the other ones are. Um, but yeah, the goal is to expand into the entire known universe and have Torchlight be out there. Um, so yeah, that, that's my goal. Um, we'll see how long it takes to get there. But I think in the next couple of months, I'll have it ready where it's free, it's available in the browser, and the infrastructure is like totally scalable and solid. So you just kind of teased a little bit this new infrastructure. You wanted to talk more about it. So let's let's just give you the nice softball Question, Aaron, could you tell us more about this new infrastructure? 
Wow. Love, love this podcast. <laughs> I, I love being set up like that. Um, yeah. So historically it has run on, so it's all, it's all node, right? So I'm a little, I'm a little outside of my traditional area of expertise already. Um, so I've run the whole thing on Vercel and Vercel's great, serverless, scalable, whatever. Super nice. Um, it's not that great, candidly. Again, <laughs> don't tell anybody. Um, but it, it, so it sits on top of Lambda, which I know and love. Yeah. And Lambda suffers from cold boots, which maybe we all know about. But when you, like, when you step up a level, so like, I, I've used Lambda and I can like pretty much control it however I want. When you step up a level, you lose some of that control. So Vercel gives you a lot of developer experience niceties, but I also lose a little bit of like, what's actually going on here? Mm. And so I would hit these cases where people would have these requests and they would just time out after five seconds. Um, you know, Vercel will run longer, but I have the clients time out after five seconds. So and people would DM me and be like, hey, man, why is this timing out? And I'm like, oh, because Vercel sucks. And I would never say that, but that's sure. what I was thinking, right? I was like, oh, gosh, let me like look into it. I'll see if I can make any tweaks that make that better. And I just couldn't. And it was really like it was really discouraging for a super long time. And so the new infrastructure is raw AWS Lambda. So I have... I have all the rendering done on lambdas, but mm -hmm. what I didn't want to do is enter this world of like, now I'm this serverless AWS hero. Like those people are geniuses and I just don't want to learn. I don't want to learn all of that. Like right. I don't have the time and I don't have the energy and I don't think that's how I want to architect my applications to be frank. So what I did was um, fly.io. Mm is this new kind of platform that gives you geographically distributed servers, like for real servers, not like serverless. You get an actual server you can SSH into. And so now the, um, the architecture is such that I've got, I think, seven or eight fly servers all around the world. And that's going to be really important when it comes to client-side highlighting because you need you need the response times to be super fast right. um, and the speed of light is still a thing. So having a server in Paris and a server in Sydney is going to help, you know, people in Paris and Sydney. Um, so in the front, like the requests are received at the fly IO layer. And that's actually just running a Laravel server or a Laravel application, which is awesome because we love Laravel and it's easy, right? Yeah. So it's running a Laravel app with Octane enabled, and that's important. I'll come back to that. So it has Laravel Octane running, right? Mm -hmm. So these seven or eight servers are just hanging out all around the world, receiving requests. Fly is doing all the routing to find the geographically closest location. Totally rules. It's amazing. Then what that um, Laravel server does is that, so let's say that like, so Laravel.com uses Torchlight, right? one of their pages could easily have 250 code blocks on it because, you know, the the page is super long and there are yeah. tons yeah. of examples. I can't send 250 blocks to a single renderer because, you know, even, even at 10 milliseconds each, that's going to end up taking a long time and it takes a little longer than 10 milliseconds. So what I do is at the Laravel layer, I break that up into chunks of, say, five blocks each and mm -hmm. I dish those out to rendering lambdas using sidecar package that i wrote right so yeah so the, meta i know it's wild so at the laravel layer that is hosted on fly it ends up with say i don't know 50 requests that then are dished out to individual 
lambdas to do all the rendering. Then those lambdas render everything and it comes back to Laravel where I stitch the whole response back together and send it back to the browser or to the client or whoever requested it, right? And so this is super nice because regardless of how many blocks you send me at once, I'm not bound by whatever machine received it, which was the issue with Vercel, right? I was mm. bound to the single Lambda. Now it's totally able to be um, sent out in parallel. And so regardless of how many you send me, it's fine. What I can do also is I can cache at the Laravel level, right? Mm -hmm. So these machines, these fly machines are proper machines. And so I can do caching at that level, which is important again for the client, the in-browser um, client, because I can at that point cache the responses such that they never have to reach the Lambda in the first place, right? So if I've seen a particular code block with all of its options and configuration and everything, if I've seen that before, I can just return it without hitting Lambda. And we're talking like 35, 50 milliseconds, something like yeah. that. Um, and so that that gives me a whole level of um, API side caching where historically it was only client side caching. And then if you'll indulge me, the final thing is Laravel Octane, right? So I thought Octane was cool and Octane is the thing that keeps Laravel alive from request to request so it doesn't have to reboot. Mm -hmm. I thought it was cool. Um, I didn't realize and, and don't scoop me on this listeners because I want to <laughs> write an article about this. Um, I didn't realize one of maybe the best things about Octane and it has nothing really to do with Laravel. It's Guzzle, right? So Guzzle, we all know and love. Everybody uses it. It's our HTTP, whatever. So everyone uses Guzzle. Guzzle will keep connections alive as long as the Guzzle client stays alive, right? Mm -hmm. So in typical Laravel world, the the request comes in, Laravel comes to life, the universe is built, the universe is destroyed. And that's it. Game over, right? Yeah. In Octane, the universe sticks around for a while, which means if you do it correctly, Guzzle, the, a Guzzle client can stick around for a while. And so in my case, it reuses these connections to the AWS data centers so that it doesn't have to reopen and renegotiate SSL every time. Mm -hmm. Right. So Guzzle stays alive and then I can reuse those open connections so that my next requests to AWS Lambda don't have to negotiate any sort of connecting. They're already open and they just fire them back through the same one. And this is like default Guzzle that I had never, ever heard about. But it saves a ton of time when you're talking about, let's say, 15 20 milliseconds round trip if you don't have to renegotiate that TLS handshake or whatever it is that's above my pay grade but it reuses it and so that part of that part of octane is really really crazy to me and something that I never knew would be a benefit but when I was looking at these request times I was like man it's having to reopen these requests to the AWS data center all the time and that's super painful I wonder if that's workaroundable and Guzzle was like yeah we support that by default just don't kill the client wow, this is incredible. Wow. So that's kind of where I ended up. And that's, I think, I think the logical extent to as fast as I can make it um, provided my same restrictions that I want to kind of keep Laravel in the stack and keep it easy on me personally. I'm sure I could make it faster, but I don't have enough knowledge to, to mm. do anything different. I mean, it's well, listening to, it's amazing. Like you are obviously passionate about Torchlight, but yeah. <laughs> 
what's the point during you building it or marketing it when you thought, oh, maybe it's not worth it? Um, ever, yeah, how long How mind? long do you have? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I think I harbor this dream of being like, uh, you know, a SaaS boy where I just make a ton of money off, off SaaS and just get to sit in my shed and do whatever I want all day. And like, so when Torchlight came to me, I was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get rich. And, you know, it's really hard to sell syntax highlighting. Um <laughs> And and the dollar amounts we're talking about, like, or, or I think it's like, I don't know, $14 a month for a business. Mm. And it's just, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and so there, there have definitely been times where I've been working late at night and, you know, the MRRs like in the beginning is like $32 a month. And I'm like, what the heck am mm. I doing? This, this makes uh. no sense at all. And I wouldn't have kept going if it wasn't fun, right? So clear, clearly I care about it and I'm not just in it for the money because otherwise I would have given up a long time ago. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, there have been a ton of times. And the times where it's like I'm getting these DMs from these people that I respect and they're like, hey, this stuff isn't working. What's the deal? And it's like that just fills me with dread and I hate yeah. it so much. Um, and so my my personal constitution is not like – is not totally resilient to those kinds of things where some people would be like, ah, I don't know. It, you know, I shipped it before I was ready and who cares? And it's like, Oh man, that really stings for me personally. So a lot of those, a lot of those have been like, what am I actually doing here? Um, but I think because, because I find the problem so interesting because I mm. find the results so useful um, and because I think there is a path forward, I've just I've just kept going. I mean, this new infrastructure makes me personally feel a lot more at ease. Um, yeah. I feel like I'll be disappointing fewer people in the off chance that like Vercel, you know, takes two and a half seconds to wake up. Um, so I feel a lot better personally about that. And then I think separating it from this dream of like, you know, $10,000 MRR and making it mm. free and just kind of like disassociating that altogether. I feel like that's going to be a big win um, because then, then I'm less concerned about like, okay, well I've spent 400 hours working on it and I've made $8. Is that a good ROI? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, and then that, that just kind of goes out the window and it becomes this separate thing of like marketing for the Hammerstone Aaron universe. And I just, mm. I feel better about that. Yeah. Is there something you would have done differently looking back over the whole journey? Uh, that's a good, good question. Um, that requires introspection. I prefer the infrastructure talks. Uh, let's see. <laughs> let's see. We um, do both here on 20% time. Yeah, yeah. for real. Um, yeah, I think, I think from the beginning, um, I think from the beginning I would have maybe – God, that's hard to say. I was going to say I would have maybe done this infrastructure differently from the beginning. However, Vercel was the most obvious path forward because of its ease of use and developer experience. Um, so I don't know, even with what I... Two separate answers. Knowing what I know now, I would have done infrastructure differently. If I had to do it mm. all again with the same knowledge that I had back then, I would have done it the exact same way. So I don't know. That was very... Politically correct answer. <laughs> so you, you've talked a bit throughout uh, this episode about kind of like what's coming in the future, right? You've talked mm -hmm. about the redesign. You've talked about, you know, what's coming with infrastructure, price changes. Is there anything else kind of 
coming next for Torchlight that folks who are listening to this should uh, should pay attention to or be on the watch for? Um, yeah, I think I've covered everything that's coming. I guess my one um, request would be when the time does come yeah. that it's time to like start the hype train that we get people on the hype train. Mm. And so at some point, at some point in the future, in in, in the near future. Um, there will come a time where Torchlight has a brand new um, Titan implemented design. Torchlight has a JavaScript in browser client and Torchlight is publicly free. Like I said, it's kind of already free, but Torchlight is advertised as being free. At that point, I'm going to be trying to like spread the good news of Torchlight. And should you feel so inclined, dear listener, I would appreciate the help. But I think that is like, that is very transparently my roadmap um and i hope to execute on that in in the coming weeks and months yeah thing we're gonna do all we can because i mean i we all love torchlight already and with all the things that you've outlined like the things that are coming who wouldn't want to use it really come on well thanks that means a lot i appreciate that (laughs) so that's actually all the questions that we had is there before we go is there anything that you wish we would have asked you about Torchlight that we didn't get a chance to cover. Um, you mentioned the name. I'm. I'm. Oh yeah. How did, so how did, oh, I'm, yeah. Tell us. I'm particularly pleased about the name. Um, I, I don't. Know, I shouldn't have brought this up because I don't really know. I just. <laughs> I just. It just came to me. I just love it so much. Um, no. So I was thinking like, how do I get? How do I kind of get highlight worked in there? Um, because I, I'm you know not exceedingly clever, and I kind of wanted to like be on the nose about it. And so I just started looking up different words that had light included in it. Um, and I came across Torchlight and the .dev was available. And I thought of all the cool like logos that could be made out of it. And I just, it just, it just tickled me so much that I had to do it. Um, and so I was super pleased with it. And I have like, if I had to do anything over again, what would I change? Not the name. The name totally <laughs> rules. And I love it. I think it's really clever. And I like Thanks. it. Thanks. So. Very good. All right. Uh, Aaron, where can folks uh, find you online? Where should they go? Yeah. So what we've been talking about is Torchlight at torchlight.dev. You can find a bunch of other packages at hammerstone.dev, including Sidecar, Refine, all of that stuff. And then you can find me personally on Twitter at Aaron D. Francis, D as in Daniel. So I'm there all the time. Come uh, hang out. Well. Aaron, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I learned way more about Torchlight than I than I expected. I think I understood most of the infrastructure talk. I'm I'm not a dev. I just pretend to know what I'm talking about sometimes. So thank you so much. And yeah, this has been fun. It's been amazing. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks.